Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Amen. Well, good morning. You can be seated. Uh, My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. I'm so glad to be back with you preaching this morning as we start our new sermon series, which is Life-Giving Lessons. And we're going to be looking at several of the stories or the parables of Jesus from the Gospels, primarily in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Life-giving lessons. One of the things we as uh, in the Army as the Chaplain Corps here, many of you as leaders here, many of you as family members here, many of you as soldiers here, is the Army is all about people first. We hear things like, we want to get after what we say, harmful behaviors, right? We want to get after depression. All of our hearts break as we hear about suicide, as we hear about self-harm, all these types of things. I believe that the ultimate truth comes from God himself, and that comes from Scripture. And I think as we look in the next few weeks at life-giving lessons, Jesus said he's come that we might have what? Life and have it abundantly, I believe, based on the authority of God's word, that we can learn those life-giving lessons that will be a blessing to us, and Lord willing, a blessing to all those around us. And we'll not only, as we say, get after harmful behaviors and negative things, but people will be changed by the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to begin with, to Matthew chapter 13. And let me say that we're going to start in Matthew 13 because I want you to see something there. But our main text in just a moment will be in Mark chapter 4. But go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13 as we look at these uh, life-giving lessons. These lessons that hopefully we hear from God today. Transformative teaching, you could say. Jesus many times spoke in parables. In the Gospels, it even says, memorial and occasion, Jesus, when he talked to the people, he talked in parables. Parables, as you probably know, many times they are stories. You've heard people say perhaps that parables are are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Sometimes parables are proverbs. Sometimes parables are, are riddles. Sometimes Jesus makes a comparison, which he's going to do in our parable today, in the parable of the four, soil, the four soils, the parable of the sower. That's what we're going to be looking at today. He makes comparisons. Sometimes he makes contrast. Sometimes the stories are simple and very short. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The mustard seed grows. It's like three verses long. Sometimes the parables are more complex with, with many different characters. When you read through the parables, one thing, if you read them all and sit back and notice, my opinion, Jesus was the master at these parables. Have you ever been around someone who is just really good at telling a story? That's what I imagine when I hear Jesus sharing these parables. He was definitely the master. He had a way to make these insanely vast contrasts To make his point, for example, he tells a story about a debtor who owed 
10,000 talents, which was the equivalent of our millions of dollars. Like who owes millions of dollars in a peasant in the first century? But he does it to, to make this drastic point about forgiveness and about how great a debt we've been forgiven. Jesus often would tell this cool story, but then all of a sudden it'd have a plot to it in that it would come to a twist. Later on, we're definitely going to teach the parable of the Good Samaritan. How can you not write in a story of parables? But in that story, if you remember the quote, good people were the first two, the priest and the Levite, but then the good guy in the story ends up being the Samaritan. That was definitely a twist to the point where Jesus asked, who's the neighbor? They said, oh, well, the one who had mercy. They couldn't even bring themselves to say Samaritan. Jesus used these parables in many different ways. The parables are not merely cognitive. That is, it is not merely just a mental think-through process, but it is volitional. What I hope you see as we go through these parables, these life-giving lessons, is that they are very application-driven. You and I can read these parables, and we can do one of two things. We can ignore and go, oh, that's a nice story, or we can say, oh, that's what God's teaching me. What must I now do? I hope that's what our takeaway is as we, as we look through the parables. The parables are either going to attract people or they're going to actually repel people. In other words, it's gonna, some people are going to hear the parables and they're going to be driven even further away from the gospel, from the message of Jesus. By the way, especially today's parable, and I hope as you go through these parables, it'll help us understand why some people that you know and I know, and maybe us at times, <clears throat> even though they seem really smart, even though they seem to have it all together, the parables, <clears throat> the parable of the sower in particular, will explain why, although they are smart, they can't seem to see the truth from the scripture that is right in front of them. This might explain why some of us have a hard time paying attention to sermons. I don't know. Maybe. It, it, it may explain why you get drowsy the exact moment it's time to preach God's word. I don't know. It may explain why some people can hold it, so to speak, for hours and hours at work, but an hour at chapel, we have to go to the bathroom. Shots fired, right? In all seriousness, I want you to understand that in just a moment, we're going to look at Isaiah, a quote from Isaiah in Matthew 13, where Isaiah was told to pronounce judgment on an already rebellious nation. But Jesus takes that from Isaiah, we're going to see in just a minute, and he makes the point, here is why many people will reject this message. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting you to think about the fact that the kingdom, the parables talk about the kingdom, some people accept it and some people reject it. Many times in the parables, Jesus will say something to the effect of the kingdom of God is like. Well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is very simply the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. For us specifically in the hearts and lives of his people, God's kingdom is wherever he rules and reigns. We know that there's coming a day when Christ returns that he's going to ultimately rule and reign over everything. The Bible says in Philippians 2 what? that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But Jesus is trying to teach us that we as his people are living out that kingdom now. The kingdom in our life is more of a power than it is a place. 
It's more of a rule or a reign than it is a, a realm. The kingdom is a kingdom of the word, the sower. We're going to talk about that. And the issue is how people respond to the word. And when we look at this parable in just a minute, it's not only going to reveal the great truth that God has begun to rule in Jesus. That's what the good soil is, and it grows. That's the kingdom. That's God's rule and reign in your life and mine as we live out our faith. It not only shows that, but it conceals it as well. The truth is concealed from those who really don't want to hear it, but it's revealed to those who will listen. And by the way, this fits the idea that's in other places of Scripture that what? Jesus actually said at the Sermon on the Mount. That broad is the way that leads to destruction. And how many people find that way? It says many. But then on the other hand, it says narrow is the path that leads to life. And Jesus makes a statement. There be few that find it. I bring that up because full disclosure on the front end, we're going to look at four soils. The only proper response to this seed is to be receptive and to obey. The other three are not adequate and not correct responses. I want you to look now at Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 15, because I want to show you something before we look at the whole parable. Just so that you know, thank you, just so that you know, Jesus tells the parable, and then the disciples ask him what the parable means, and then Jesus explains the parable. Earlier in our service, we read the, the initial story that Jesus told the people. In just a minute, we're going to get the rest of the story where Jesus explains the parable. But before we do that, I want you to see what Jesus said to the disciples when they asked about parables. Look at verse 11 in Matthew 13. So they asked him, why do you speak in parables? Look at verse 11. He answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, here it is, is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You'll indeed see, but never perceive. Look at verse number 15. For this people's heart has grown dull, so they have a dull heart. Their ears they can barely hear. They have a dull heart. They have deaf ears. And their eyes they have closed. They have a dull heart. They have deaf ears, and they have dim eyes. Can't hear, they can't see, and their heart's closed lest they should hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. I hope that you and I see and hear, and I hope that as we share the gospel that other people see and hear, but let's pray to God that we're able to do those things. That is Jesus' explanation to them as to why they speak in parables. And in just a minute, we'll turn back to Mark chapter 4. But I want you to think just a minute about this concept of why does Jesus speak in parables? You see what he says, right? We're gonna, we'll get to our, our, our main points will be the four soils, and I think you have that in your bulletin, and you'll see that in just a minute. But I want to talk about this idea of why does Jesus speak in parables? They, they see, but they don't perceive, and they hear what they don't 
understand why is it that, that perhaps people don't, don't hear? Well, it could be, number one, because they don't want to. It's, it's very clear. It's a hard heart. A, a lack of response due to the enticement of other things. Maybe it's a, maybe uh, not only uh, because they don't want to, it could be that they cherish specific sins in their hearts. Do we have something that, that we know is against God, but we love it so much we're unwilling to give it? That's why people are in that category of, yeah, I hear all this. I hear what God's saying to me, but nope, not today. It's because of a cherishing of sins. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe, maybe, maybe people just, just don't care. Or the things they care about are somewhere totally different than this message of, of Jesus and this message of the kingdom. Another place in the Bible that says in 1 John, for example, you don't have to turn there, but how can one who hates his brother love God? You, you can't see God. How can you love God who you can't see and hate your brother who you do see? Maybe there's hatred in a person's heart that stops them from turning to the Lord. Maybe it's, I've done this myself and I've had people do it to me. Have you ever ran across somebody, I'm sure it's none of y'all, but have you ever run across somebody who has a certain piece of advice they're looking for and they'll go to that first person and that person's advice is pretty solid, it's pretty biblical, but it's not what that person wanted to hear. So what will they do? They'll just go to another person. And you might go to three or four people. I've had that as a chaplain. I counsel a lot of people and, and I'll talk to a soldier. Or I'll talk to a family member. And, you know, that's just what my dad said from back home. Your dad's a smart man. I, I agree with your dad. You know, that's exactly, my grandma's been dead for five years, but it's like you said exactly what she would have said. And I'm like, oh, awesome, praise the Lord. Maybe this is going to work. Well, then do that. Well, you know what they'll do? They'll just keep going, and they'll finally find somebody who tells them exactly what, what they want to hear. Maybe that's what distracts from listening to the message. The unbelief is not a matter of the head. It is a matter of the heart. Let me say this statement. An idolatrous heart will always lead to an unbelieving head. An idolatrous heart will always lead to an unbelieving head. I want you to see that as Jesus speaks in parables, he specifically answers the disciples' question. There's going to be some people who just totally reject it. And the parables point that out. With that said, let's turn to Mark chapter 4 and let's look at this parable together the parable of the soils, or the parable of the sower. Let's read it one more time, and then we'll this time read the explanation. <clears throat> he began to teach by the sea, a large crowd, verse 1, Mark 4, gathered about him so he could get in a boat, sat it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and teaching this, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Notice the four, seed, the four soils. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Number two, verse five. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Soil number three, verse seven. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verse 8, the last soil, the good soil. Other seed fell into good soil, and it produced grain, 
growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we're going to skip down and look at Jesus' explanation. The disciples has already, have already asked the question there that we read earlier in Matthew. Verse 14. Here's his answer, the explanation of the parable. The sower does what? Sows the word. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. And the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Verse 18, the third thorn, the, the third soil explained, the thorns. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but he says three things choke them out. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Verse number 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who, watch this, hear the word. No deaf ears here. They hear the word. They accept it. And they bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The parable of the sower that I think lays a framework for the rest of the parables as we think through our life-giving lessons that Jesus is going to give us over the next several weeks. Where are the four, the four seeds, the four soils, and what they mean? Well, let's look at the first one and talk about it for just a minute. The first one is the seed that landed beside the road. We'll call this one the stolen seed. What happens? It says that Satan steals it. That's what happens. It specifically mentions Satan steals it. There's a lack of response here due to the enticement of evil. Satan steals it. I want to read a verse to you from another passage. You don't have to turn there, but feel free to jot this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this about Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Another passage, again, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read to you 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. That also talks about our enemy, Satan. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And our passage today in Mark 4.15 says that it is Satan who comes away and steals the word. It's this heart that's maybe, maybe it's casual. The seed was stolen. These are folks who in one way or another were exposed to the message. But the seed is plucked up by Satan. I found this interesting. In, in first century rabbinic literature, many times, birds were symbols of the devil. So that's interesting to me that Jesus, the birds came and ate it. Remember what he said. Satan hates it when people believe the truth. Right? Do, do you think we live in a world today where people struggle with what is truth? In fact, we've multiplied truth to be this plethora of things. 
hits phrases like your truth and your truth and my truth. When I read about this seed going out, though, do you notice the consistency, by the way, of the seed? Does it ever really change? No. The seed, the sower sows the seed. The sower puts out the word. And there's only one proper response. So that doesn't sound like your truth and your truth and my truth. It sounds more like this is God's truth. Amen. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that God's truth will not change. Even though we have an enemy, Satan, who we want you to be aware is out there and wants to steal that seed. Well, let's look at number two. This is the seed that fell in the rocks. Go back, at, go back and look at it. It says that uh, in verse 5, it fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. This is, the, this is the superficial seed. This is the shallow soil. It's, it says it, it came up quickly because it was so shallow because it had no root. It didn't last. They don't grow. These people hear the word, but they die away when persecution and tough times come because they have no root. It is a temporary superficiality that is masquerading as a true commitment. It's a false profession, plain and simple. This will be a response to the word. That's what Jesus is wanting you to see. The sower is going to sow. And this is how some people are going to respond. They're going to immediately start with joy, but then it's going to fade away. How appropriate that we're looking at this sermon, this message, right around the time a lot of people are already quitting what? Their New Year's resolutions. We're eight days in, right? How interesting that this happens right along the same time. Colossians 2, you don't have to turn there, but you can write this down. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 says this about our faith. Paul said, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him and be rooted and built up in him. Colossians is saying, Paul's saying that we need to be rooted in Christ. A person without root is without Christ. A true profession of our faith will come from our heart and, and spring out. The Bible says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a shallow response. Good start. Received it with joy. But the heat of trials many times will reveal our motives. Go down to what he said about that. They had no root in verse 17. What happens? Tribulation, he mentions. Persecution, he mentions, arises on account of the word. Immediately they fall away. This is a shallow heart. It's superficial. It's a soil that was that was was not rooted. I hope and pray that we are rooted in Christ, that we know what we believe. But I also want you to know, as you hopefully sow the seed of the message of Jesus Christ, this may be sometimes the response. It's what Jesus is saying. So the among the rocks. Well, the third seed, the one that's among the thorns. Let's look at that one more time. Look at verse 7. What does it say about the thorns? The thorns grew up and they choked it. 
and it yielded no grain. It's, it's choked. This is the strangled seed. That's what choking is. This is the divided heart. It's the soil that is choked. Now Jesus explains this one, and he lists three things here in this passage. I want you to go down, back down to verse number 18. This one's sown among the thorns. And he says, oh, they heard, they hear the word. By the way, you ever had, you ever had to ask your kids, your children, or maybe when you were a child, somebody says, hey, did you hear what I said? You know, sometimes like you hear, but you don't really hear. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. It's the same concept that we deal with, deal with today, right? That's what happens here. It says they hear, but verse 19 lists three things. These are the thorns that Jesus mentions. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. See, you got the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for, I love this one, the catch-all for other things. <laughs> Enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This is an interest initially, perhaps, to the truth that simply falls short of true belief and true growth. So the worries of this life, he mentions. This is, this is the worldly heart. This is folks who maybe it looks like they started to grow, but they're deceived by worries. Maybe our focus and our, and our desires are, are, for, are over here in, in the world's things. And it's enough to keep our eyes off of Jesus. In one place, the psalmist said, Unite my heart to fear your name. Maybe this is a person who doesn't take the, the, ser the sin serious enough. Uh, maybe this is a person who wants to serve the Lord, but they're just distracted by the things of the world. Number two is this, the deceitfulness of wealth, he says. I can't help but think later on in the Gospels, there's a young man that we have come to know as simply the rich young ruler. And Jesus suggested to him that he sell his possessions, sell everything that he had and follow him. And he went away sadly because he was a person of great wealth. It's easy to look at that young man and go, well, he got choked out fast. He, he's done. Like watching, a, like watching an MMA fight. Like, oh, that guy, he choked out so quick. Oh, he, had, he was nothing. That's how this rich young ruler was. He got choked out quick, right? He's done. But I don't think we have to be quite as wealthy as the rich young ruler to get trapped by this one. You know what the Bible says about wealth? Where your treasure is, there what? Your heart will be also. You could tell me all day long how important certain things are to you. Years ago, the illustration I would use is show me your, your, your checking ledger. Probably nobody here has a hand jam checking ledger. I would say show me your credit cards and your uh, debit card statements and let's go through them and I will simply show you what is important to you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus specifically says that there are people who will not follow the rigorous demands of discipleship. They will not follow this word because of worldly things, but also because of love of money. And then number three, other things. I love that. 
Because that's a catch-all. Not just other things, because there's a lot of things that aren't bad. Money in itself is not bad. It's what we do with it. Your career is not bad. It's what you do with it. It's the desire for other things that either raises past the desire for God or it takes our focus away. I listened to no less than about six different sermons on the parable of the sower before I preached this sermon. And a lot of them jumble up in my mind and, and people ask sometimes, do you, do you ever steal those sermons? I'll say it this way. I milk a lot of cows, but I churn my own butter. Does, does that make sense? But, but, but you might hear some of the more famous preachers and, and get a story here and there from them. You go, oh, Chapman Brass will use that. Yeah, I got it from them. I'm sure they didn't get it from me. Tim Keller tells a story when preaching on this passage. He, he said that what he began to do as he talked to specifically young Christians, and they would come to him and they would say things like, you know, I've been thinking about you know, things of the Lord, and I, and I just don't know if I believe all that anymore. Yeah, Pastor, I grew up in your church here, and you know now they're 19, 20, 21 years old, and and I, you know I'm just I've been intellectually thinking about the gospel, and I just don't know if I can believe all the all the stuff anymore. And you know what he began to ask those young Christians? He would say, "So tell me, who are you sleeping with?" And that sounds harsh and cold, but you know what Tim Keller found out? A lot of times it was bingo. That's other things. That's me saying, I know what God's plan is for my life, but I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what sin is, right? That's what idolatry is. Idolatry is, God, I know your plan, but I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do what I want to do. What are other things? The desire for other things. Maybe it's our career. Again, the other things aren't necessarily bad. Careers aren't bad. But a desire that puts our focus on there, could that easily choke out the word? Absolutely. Could it be having things? Could it be tied into money? Absolutely. Could it be our own families? Oh, my kids, no, nothing comes before my kids. I want you to love your kids. I want you to raise your kids in the Lord. God wants us to. But could not the desire to focus on our children so much choke out the word? I think it could. I could go on and on, but what I want us to understand is that the thorns choke out the word. And that could be anything that we have in our lives that becomes a choking point for our life. Worries of the world, riches, and other things. That's to fill in the blank. We could go on and on. Are there things in our lives that are choking it out? I hope and pray that we're good, that we're receptive and that we obey the word, that we listen to the word. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But again, I want you to understand, what does the sower do? He just sows. The parable tells us the sower is the word. I think that's God's word going out, God's kingdom going out. But there's going to be some times when that word and that seed's going to fall, and it's going to fall to a place with thorns, and it's going to get choked out. Well, number four, the seed that fell on good soil. Let's go back and look at it. It talks about the growth that it had, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Go down to verse number 20 one more time. Those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who 
hear the word. Everybody hears it. Did you catch that? Everybody heard it. All of them heard it. But then what? They accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. We've had the stolen seed, the strangled seed, all those other seeds. Now we've got the sprouting seed. This, say, this seed grows. Not only does it sprout, but it spreads. That's what the kingdom of God is. There's going to be some parables later on. We talk about how the kingdom of God grows. The mustard seed's the biggest, the tiniest seed, but it grows into the biggest flower. That's the kingdom of God, the rule and reign in Jesus Christ in the hearts and lives of men and women. It's going to sprout and it's going to spread. This is a heart that is open to hearing the message. Remember what we read earlier. Enter by the narrow gate because wide is the gate that leads to destruction. There's, there's only one out of the four that Jesus' story shares that's the, that's the proper response. Broad's the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. The only legitimate response to God's word is the obedience and perseverance that demonstrates a true reception of this word. As we think about the soils, my hope and my prayer as I pray to God, who's the ultimate sower, is that, is that we are receptive to what God has to say to us. There will be different responses. The scorching sun in the sky that on the one hand will melt wax, it'll harden clay. There's different responses to this soil. The word of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, hardens and blinds the resistant but it is enthusiastically received by the receptive. I don't know about you, but in 2023, I, I hope and I pray that I'm receptive. As you go out and as you sow seed, know these are going to be some of the responses. But notice, as you run across somebody who gets choked out, or you run across one who's shallow, or you run across one who gets stolen, what changes with the sowing side of it? Absolutely nothing. You just keep sowing the seed. Just keep doing it. I've, I've talked to some of you. You've got people in your family, and I, some of you I haven't talked to, but I'm sure that you're praying for. You have children that, that you know you want to see come to Christ. You, 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 have just, you have loved ones. You have spouses. You have children. Oh, and I, I can just imagine uh, if, I, if, I, if I could hear every one of those prayers, how powerful it would be, but God hears them all. God hears us crying out to Him. Know that I, I can't control anybody's response to the gospel. I can only choose to accept it myself. But what I can do is I can cry out to God and say, Oh, God, soften hearts. God, take away thorns. Know this. If you're in that seat and you're praying for somebody to come to the Lord Jesus Christ or to turn back to the Lord, just keep sowing. Don't get worried and well-doing. Keep hanging in there. Keep, keep, keep doing those things God's called you to do because in this story, the sower never changes. It just says the sower goes out the soil. He, do you think the sower knew some of it wasn't going to sprout up? Absolutely he knew. But what did he do? He just kept on doing it. 
You just keep on sowing. You just keep on sharing. Keep on praying. At this time, I'm going to pray for us now. And as we get ready to pray, in just a moment, we're going to sing, You Turn Graves Into Gardens. <laughs> talk, about, talk about growth. God can bring life where there's death. So I hope as we go out and we worship the Lord in song, that that'll, that'll encourage us to keep on sowing in this world that we live in among soils and stones and all that stuff. Just keep on sowing the good word. I invite you to stand with me. Let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we desperately need you. God, thank you for being the one who sowed the seed in our lives. For those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, we give you glory, knowing that you took us who were part of the kingdom of darkness and brought you into this, brought us into this marvelous light and brought us into your kingdom, your rule and reign in our lives. God, I pray for your people this morning. I pray that as we think about life-giving lessons, I pray that you would lay on our hearts those folks that you want us to keep sowing seed. I pray that you would help us to continue to examine our own heart. May we be those who are receptive. May we say yes to you. May we obey you. And God, in our own personal lives, in the lives of our families, and in the lives of Schofield Community Chapel, God, may some of the greatest, most fruitful days of growth and life be ahead of us in the coming weeks and in 2023. And God, bless us now as we worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.